I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Artist Digest, the live podcast practice where we fear no idea and we practice humanizing those we might disagree with by doing something very uh, new for 2020, which is listening and understanding. You know, we could rage at them on Twitter. I've seen a few battles <laughs> very recently, like, F this guy. My YouTube channel's blowing up on one video I've got. They're like, this guy's an effing idiot. I'm like, oh, maybe listen to the podcast. See, see the point. Um, my name's Conrad. And if, if, you're new, if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. Very welcome. It's great to have you here. But I'll give my usual warning and disclaimer. This podcast may not be for you. It's not for everybody. Even though everyone is welcome, uh, if you're looking for a nice, warm, cozy echo chamber, you know, you want to kick back after a long day and just listen to ideas you agree with, this might not be the place for you. I mean, you might get a few episodes where, you know, you're really having a good time, but you'll eventually hear an episode where you're like, what the hell? I completely disagree with this person. I'm outraged. And that is a feature. It's not a bug. It's by design. Uh, So... Yeah, nothing against warm, cozy echo chambers. We need them from time to time, but this just isn't it. So if you listen to the podcast long enough, uh, you you are going to hear some challenging ideas. And I think if you stick with it, you'll learn to love it. Okay, you'll be like, oh, I disagree. That's interesting. Rather than like, this guy's an effing idiot. Get out of here. So anyway, with the disclaimer out of the way, we'll go to our clickbait. Clickbait. Why do we do clickbait? Because... I mean, it's not going anywhere. This is, it's normally the end of the conversation. It's normally the thing your uncle reads on Facebook and then shares the article. And you're like, hey, uncle, have you read the article? He's like, no, I just saw and shared. If you want to do that with this podcast, you're more than welcome. Don't bother listening. Just share it. That's fine. Uh, But the clickbait for this podcast is the beginning of the conversation. It's like, oh, interesting. Let us talk more about it and see maybe whether the clickbait was misleading and and how we can understand a bit more. Uh, Introducing new friend of the show. New friend of the show. From the Deconstructionist podcast, John Williamson. John, thanks for joining me on Ideas Digest. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. It, it, it's great to have you here. Now, um, what we like to do is we like to get to know our guests just a little bit. And I want to hand it over to you now. If I was to meet you at like a nice little cocktail mixer, you know, semi-formal, yeah, like, hi, my name's Conrad. What would be the top line information that you would give? You're like, oh, my name's John. Um, you know, what's your, what's your surface level intro information you've got for me? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, since we're in the middle of a pandemic and I haven't actually been out to a social function in, in, in many months. <laughs> You're out of practice. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'd say... Uh, Gosh, the basics. Um, you know, I'm I'm an early forty something year old guy who uh, lives in the United States in the Midwest. I uh, I'm a father of a seven year old little girl, uh, and that's that's my main focus in life at this point is my uh, my daughter. Uh, but uh, I I bank I'm a I work for a a large bank uh, in a fraud department by day, and I I podcast at night, and that's uh, obviously one of my 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 passion projects and. Started with uh, my good friend Adam uh, Narlock uh, about four and a half years ago now, almost five years ago, um, as just uh, 
you know, way to kind of time capsule some of the conversations we were already having. Adam at the time was a uh, part-time pastor at a church that I used to attend. And uh, it kind of took off from there and took on a life of its own. And, um, and yeah, so I, I kind of do that and, you know, and uh, uh, like to enjoy the city life, you know, when, when we're not in a uh, quarantine. <laughs> so. All right. That, that, that's pretty good. Well, it's not, it's nice to meet you, Adam. Great to, ha- great to see you out and about finally. Uh, so, <laughs> I've got enough information now. That was a trap. I trapped you, mate. When we meet new people or come across new, like new things on, on YouTube or wherever we look at things, I don't know. Uh, we we judge. We judge. That's that's just what we do. It's what I've just done. I'm, I'm I'm meeting John. He's talking to me about he's a banker. I'm like, oh, I've got some judgments. I've like I've I've come to some conclusions. Uh, they they are maybe incorrect or maybe they're correct. I don't know. But uh, in this in this segment, as we get to know our guests, John, this is called. Uh, confessing my judgments and assumptions. So I'm like, normally I would think them, I'd meet you and go and then walk away and be like, oh, hey, did you hear John? He works at a bank. Probably steals old ladies' money. Like, is there like, I, oh, what's the fraud department though? I don't know. So, but in this game, we, I'm going to confess them to you and you, you can go yes or no. You can just straight up be like that. No, no, that's, that's completely wrong. And then, and then we move on from there. We get all the assumptions out of the way and we go deeper into the, nuanced conversation how's that sound sounds good <laughs> okay so <clears throat> well looking at your just you know i've i've long time listener of your podcast actually uh oh, thank you. you know it's a it, it's a it's a great podcast and i, w- I was listening to it and uh, and some assumptions i had when i was first listening i was like man these guys both of them bloody west coast liberal elites they can sit around and podcast <laughs> talk about like abstract religion like john you're a west coast liberal elite well, I know you're not the West Coast, but nope. <laughs> that's uh, about it. No, I, I would be considered very middle class. <laughs> um, okay, definitely okay. not West Coast. I live in the middle of Midwest America, and uh, I probably am a little bit more of a of a, a crazy liberal. But Adam uh, would probably self-identify as more of um, a moderate, and so he and I have kind of two Ooh. very different approaches. Fence sitter, get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely not right. West Coast. So I'll uh, say <laughs> West Coast elite. Nope. I'll say that's a hard, a hard no on that one. So uh, <laughs> as you introduce yourself, I'm firing from the hip here. You know, normally I prepare a few, but you you work in the banks now. I don't know about banks in America. 2008, they have something to answer for. In Australia, we just did a royal commission into banks, and they were like stealing kids' money and dead people's money and stuff like that. They got in big trouble. So John, you're a dodgy banker. Is that is that what's going on? You work in the fraud department. Are you working out how to like do the most fraud, or are you stopping it? You're a good guy. No, no, we're we're hopefully stopping fraud. So we well, I, I say fraud fraud prevention department, but really what we do is we're looking for uh, uh, evidence of money laundering and terrorist financing and trying to make uh, sure that's not happening. So. <laughs> oh, all right. He's the okay a banking hero. I like I like it. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, it, it's probably it's it's definitely very important work. So that's a it's, it's not a dodgy banker, everyone. He's one of the good ones. One of the good ones. Okay, your your podcast focuses mainly on like Christian uh, things within the Christian religious sphere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Would you? The the podcast is like the deconstructionist. You say deconstruct everything. You, John, you must you must self label as some progressive christian yes or no uh to some degree i it that's a tricky question that's a loaded question to answer obviously i um yeah it is it is you got yeah it. 
I, I still, I still, I still profess to be a Christian and, uh, we obviously we can get into more of this, but I think the, the more I've deconstructed, the more I've realized that actually I have some very traditional, um, historic views, I think of, of Christianity, um, just maybe not as prevalent in the West where I happen to, to live. But yeah, I think, um, oh, yeah, such a, such a progressive Christian answer. It's like, listen, <laughs> I am actually, that's a very Richard Rohr thing. It's like, you're always calling me a heretic, but I'm more orthodox than even you. And, and, and everyone's like, what? It's a, I, I feel like it's a, it's, I, I, I think I get where you're going, but we can, we can get in, we can get more into that one. Yeah. Uh, f- friend of the show, <clears throat> friend of the show, Colette Yo sent through a judgment of you, uh, John. She's confessed a judgment. Um, <laughs> okay. The judgment was you're some ex-pastor disillusioned with religion and finding their own spirituality. <laughs> no, I'm actually not an ex-pastor. I do not claim to be a theologian. Uh, my father is a pastor. Um, pastor's but, kid, pretty close. Yeah, pastor's kid, but uh, not disillusioned at all. Actually, more in love with uh, religion or spirituality now than I ever have been before. I think part of it is I've taken more ownership. <clears throat> Uh, over my beliefs now than I ever have. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I feel more, um, I feel more love, uh, towards my faith now than I, than I ever have. So not, not, I wouldn't say disillusion at all, maybe disillusion with uh, perhaps, um, human beings in the way that some tend to portray, uh, religion, specifically Christianity in in the West, but not, not disillusion with religion. No. (laughs) All right, that's a no on two counts on that one. Okay, very good friend of the show, uh, Craig W3IR, says uh, you deconstruct because it's just the cool thing to do. You're just doing it because it's cool. I, I wish I wish I could say yes to that one, but I actually, <laughs> when I, and I think this is true for a lot of people who go through deconstruction, when it was happening, I didn't realize what it was. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh. I, I said I would have framed it more like I'm just asking questions and doing research and trying to uh, understand what I truly believe and why. Um, it wasn't until, you know, we, honestly, we started the podcast uh, and Adam came up. With, and, and he knew, by the way, and, and would, would say this if he was here now, knew that it was kind of a um, uh, contra- not controversial, but uh, a, a name that would that elicits a response and that is catches the eye and a lot of people do kind of have that gut you know that that's their first instinct is to think that oh we're just burning the whole thing down and that's not it at all so in a way we're kind of Mm. doing what you're doing with the uh the the kind of the snap judgment thing the uh the clickbait thing at the beginning we're trying to draw you in with this kind of provocative there we go provocative name but really ultimately that's not what we're about at all it's just good marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to be these days. I mean, I, if you want to stand out from other podcasts, uh, there's a billion out it's there. It's competitive. Yeah. It's very competitive. I know. That's why I'm doubling down on the clickbait because I know the deconstructionists are doing it. I'm like, man, I'm going to get but in yeah. on this clickbait game. So, yeah. Uh, okay. You then, would you sit, some people would accuse you or judge you mm-hmm. of being like, a wishy-washy Christian, you know, you're just picking and choosing what you want from the buffet. Oh, a bit of this, a bit of progressive values here, you know, maybe a bit of history over here, and then you you're taking that. What 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 would you say to that? Uh, I I get that. I understand. Uh, I think I understand that um, that that feeling towards folks who who do that. I think 
I think you do have to be very careful. I think uh, when you are deconstructing, you're going on a spiritual journey or whatever you want to call it. You can call it anything. You don't have to call it deconstruction. But I think when you're starting to go down that road, I think, uh, at least for me anyway, uh, it was important to me that when I was doing my research that I was using uh, credible resources and um, and not just falling into the trap of just making up my own religion, you know, as I went, but mm-hmm. but rather reading things that people had to say along before me who are much smarter than I am, you know, and, and kind of taking that approach. So I, I would honestly say that there is nothing that I believe currently that I made up on my own. These are all things that, mm-hmm. you know, much okay. wiser uh, people long mm-hmm. before me have, have been debating and arguing since the beginning of time. And a lot of, a lot of religion too, I would, I would say, I would argue um, comes down to doctrine and dogma and, and things that human beings uh, used to try to make sense of the relationship that they have with the divine. Cause unfortunately we, you know, God didn't leave us a lot of answers, you know, on a lot of things. And so we're kind of forced mm. to kind of wrestle with that. And I think that's kind of some of the beauty of it, honestly. So you would, that's a, that's a hard no on that one. You'd say, no, you just, you're, you're wrestling with it. All right. Last one, last one. It's a, it's a dirty word. You'll know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, John, you're a universalist. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, uh, okay. I might be. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, that's a yes. That one's tough, too, because I, in, in some sense, I understand. Uh, my dad and I, we, we, we discuss this one all the time. And, and it, huh. I keep coming back to the idea of there having to be some sort of fiery, eternal, conscious torment. Uh, to me, it always comes back to one thing, and that's justice. And that is uh, human beings have to – we have to know that the bad people out there are going to to, to, mm. to pay for it at some point, right? Like we have to know mm. that Hitler is going to pay for the suffering <clears throat> that he inflicted on humanity, you know, because it was unspeakable mm-hmm. crimes, you know, or, you know, mm. Stalin or, or whoever, you know, whoever the bad guy is. Um, but then it – for me, it always comes back to the idea that, yes, but we also are very limited in our capacity to forgive and to even love. Like, I'll be honest. I, I, I mentioned my seven-year-old daughter earlier. I love her more than anything. To me, I tell new parents all the time. When my daughter was born, uh, it was uh, almost God's way of saying, like, oh, you thought you knew what it was like to love and be loved before? Uh, hold my beer. You know, like, you're about to find out what it's really like, you know, and it's it's indes- it's indescribable it, indescribable like the 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 love that you have for this being that you help create and so if anyone hurt my daughter you know god forbid killed my daughter mm, i'm telling you now my for- my level of forgiveness and my and my ability to love that person mm. who inflicted that harm is very limited mm. <laughs> very limited i've said often mm. i'm like if you take her out before i die you better take me with her cuz you know mm-hmm. um so like I know that the human capacity for grace and forgiveness and love is limited and oftentimes, unfortunately, conditional mm. part of the human condition. However, when we're talking about this divine being, when we're talking about God, whose uh, grace and love uh, is never ending, you know, the human brain can't even conceive of the idea of infinity, you know, or, or uh, something without end, you know. And so I, I just think, Again, I think it comes back to our our 
sense of justice and the limitations that we have in our ability to forgive and to love and to, uh, to freely provide grace. But we also say we believe in this God who doesn't have those restrictions and limitations. And so I keep coming back to that, I think, and, and mm-hmm. a whole host of other reasons, but that's kind of the, the basis mm-hmm. of it. So maybe I, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to box you a yes. Yeah, that's a a well-articulated yes on that one, I think. Um, But obviously more (laughs) conversation and and, uh, questions to delve into. So I guess that brings us to the end of the uh, clickbaity judging and assuming portion. And, you know, many incorrect, some some on the money. Um, Talk to me, John, about, I guess, like your background, upbringing, some of the social groups you've you've been a part of or like what forms, I guess, your identity or like whether it's a sporting group or political things. Talk to me a bit more about you. Sure. Um, I, I was raised in a very uh, traditional kind of Midwestern, like middle-class home. Uh, my dad, uh, both of my parents actually were originally teachers and my dad went back to school, went to seminary uh, when I was very young. And uh, decided, you know, he felt called to the ministry. And so he became an ELCA Lutheran pastor and still to this day, uh, just retired from his the last church, um, but is still actively uh, working as a chaplain in a hospital. And so uh, I was raised in a very ELCA Lutheran uh, household as a pastor's kid, as you mentioned earlier, literally raised in the church. If they couldn't find an acolyte, guess what? It was me, you know. Um, uh, Hang on, what's an acolyte? I'm showing my ignorance here. Oh, no, it's, uh, uh, they look like choir boys, but they go up and they light the candles on the altar. And so, oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Yep. Yep. Got it. That's kind of a bit of that, that cast off from, uh, from Catholicism. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, you know, born and raised, uh, in the church. Um, but I, I, I have a lot of appreciation for my ELCA Lutheran roots, uh, in the, in the sense that it was never something, religion was never something that was forced upon me, although you would assume so based on the fact that, you know, my dad's a pastor and I'm expected to, to uh, you know, conduct myself in a certain way as a pastor's kid, right? But it was never anything that was forced upon me, um, nor uh, was the message to, to me, uh, I think in general, I, I, you know, I'm not speaking on behalf of the entire ELCA, but um you know, hell and fire and brimstone and, and, and that very kind of evangelical Western thing, uh, that obsession with that and, and kind of behavior modification that kind of goes along with it was never really part of the message for me growing up, um, at least in the Lutheran church. Um, we very much more focused on, you know, how you present yourself to the world. There's a hymn that I love, still an old hymn. Uh, you will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. I probably screwed that up, but you get the idea. Um, I, I got it. That's good. Yeah. And so I always really love that hymn because I identify with that. You know, I think, uh, you know, if you're living in such a way, like that is your evangelism, you know, essentially um, without having to go and, and like force it down someone's throat. Uh, I, I think there are many ways that we have tended to evangelize to others that, um, does not unfortunately result in a heart change. It's basically like behavior modification for a time, you know, coated in a pill of shame and then, you know, backsliding as they say, you know, always tends to occur. Um, I hate that word by the way, but, um, 
But yeah, I, I had a oh, had a great childhood. <laughs> That'll trigger you backsliding. Yeah, hate that word. Yeah, it's so silly. But um, but yeah, I born and raised in in a Lutheran household in the Midwest. Uh, you know, very. I, I did not have any religious trauma uh, growing up uh, until and so my kind of religious questioning was a little different than maybe even Adams was. And and he would tell you probably a completely different story, but um, I didn't begin to question anything until probably I got to college and just kind of started to hang out with a group of, of people who I later found out were going to this kind of like large mega church kind of evangelical style church. Um, and the cool starting, church. It's a skinny yep. Jane's church. Right. Yeah. With a cool band. Yeah. You're exactly right. It was Sunday nights <laughs> and like, you know, this straight up like super great musicians and you know rock band up on stage sunday night and like you know and i'll be honest i was in college the girls were, were great looking too you know <laughs> so that's um, the main that's the main draw card of those mega churches they know like, it right. they know it you know Old single yeah. conrad he went he went that's right you know i didn't have to wear a tie you know i'm wearing my you know wearing my skinny jeans too you know and my you know <laughs> my, my band tee and all that stuff and you know you didn't have to dress up and it was very welcoming and um but then I realized I very quickly uh, there's very large differences between what I was born and raised in and, and more of an evangelical setting. Not to say there's anything wrong with it. Mm. It was just very different. It was a bit of culture shock for me. And so uh, uh, as I started to learn some of the theology, uh, you know, in, in that particular church and, and, you know, had some other experiences, some other churches around that time um, started to really, I think that's what really triggered me asking questions because it, it kind of made me go back to my Lutheran roots and say, Oh, wait, is that, do we believe that too? Or like, do, are there differences here? And I think that's when I became very hyper aware of um, just the subtle differences, not so subtle differences between hmm. the different um, flavors of Christianity. Um, you know, uh, it was probably in my twenties and then obviously into my thirties when I became a, a, a father really started buckling down and, and really taking it serious, uh, seriously. And, um, uh, and that's when the research really kind of kicked in. What is, what is deconstruction? Friend of the show, Martin sent through, he said he's, he's heard deconstruction as being radical skepticism against all authority. Yeah. What do you think of this definition and, and what would, I guess, how would you position deconstruction and your journey with it? Oh boy. Here's where I get myself into trouble. Um, <laughs> cause if you get online, if you get on Twitter, uh, there is a, there, there are the group of philosophy folks out there who get very unhappy, uh, with the idea that we hijacked a word that had, uh, little to do with religion, arguably, uh, when it was first coined, um, you know, so, <laughs> so. Yes, we, we have kind of um, used it uh, for our own meaning. And, and I'm sure there are people out there who would make the argument that, yes, deconstruction is exactly that, that definition that you just gave. Um, for our podcast and for our purposes, uh, that's not at all uh, the way that we use it. We mean it, we mean it in a sense uh -huh. that you are um, kind of taking apart, uh, kind of like the way that you would take apart a clock to see how it works on the inside, but to take something apart and, and examine it from the inside and look for, um, we always compare it to like a, you know, a ship in, in its dock before you go out to see what's the first, what's the, what's the last thing you see them doing the, the, the crew around the ship before you leave, you see them putting out a fresh layer of paint, you know, uh, fixing any, any areas that, that might hope, you know, potentially cause leaks, you know, when you're out at, at sea and just mm. shoring things up, 
so that your ship is strong in case you do encounter a storm out at sea. And so the way we look at it and the way that we've uh, kind of approached it is for us, deconstruction is just uh, merely examining your your belief system, your faith from the inside and looking for things that maybe don't work anymore um, and, mm-hmm. and, and basically firming it up in the sense that it hopefully comes out stronger on the other side uh, than maybe you went in. The, it, it almost sounds like the exact inverse, which is probably why the philosophy nerds on Twitter, sorry guys, are, are, are raging because it, 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 we, we've just come to like a logical conclusion of what the word means. It's like, we never really heard of deconstruction, but it must be the opposite of construction. So we're just going to pull it apart. Right. Like that's that's kind of the way, the way in which you're using, which is honestly, I, I guess it, it shows the circles. You know, I'm, I'm moving in with the same, within religion yet, that word has been now used to describe examining different ideas and beliefs, how we got there, which ones work, which ones don't, and then kind of rebuilding after pulling it all apart. You've got this complete structure you were handed, you know, religiously. Here's here's your Lutheran beliefs, Baptist beliefs, just Christian beliefs. And now we're going, oh, well, hang on. Like, what about, and you're pulling out different pieces. That kind of sounds like the, the way in which you're you're using it and the practice of the podcast. Yeah, I like what somebody just said, triggered by church, pumping the brakes and checking the map. That's exactly it. You know, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah, I, I like that. So yeah, I mean, it, I love philosophy. So you know, I, I, we at no point meant to offend any of the philosophy folks out there <laughs> who, who abide by the original intended definition, uh, which I believe yeah. was more language, language. What is language but sounds? Yeah, language <laughs> we're, and how we're all changing meanings. <laughs> but like, it, but I think that plays into it though. Like, if you if you want to look at Derrida's original. <laughs> idea uh this idea that language is inherently unstable especially the further removed you are from the original author um that certainly applies when reading like the bible you know for example Mm. Uh, you know you're you're thousands of years removed from the original authors it's been translated in a multitude of languages from a uh from uh hebrew and greek and languages that are very nuanced into english for our purposes and there aren't often like-for-like like words in both languages. And so you do run into situations where you can't, uh, you, you just can't have uh, an exact translation. And so then you, it's left up to, uh, you know, the interpreters to, to choose the best path to go uh, in, in that, in that sense. So, you know, that's a, that's a um, very interesting I guess rev- like it could be a revised starting point, you know, as you, as you, you're explaining your journey going like being just exposed to slight difference, differences in Protestant churches and things. And then it makes you, it makes you look at what you've got and go, Oh, hang on. Why is there difference? Cause there is difference. And when we look at those differences, we can go, well, it's just cause they're wrong. That's it. Like I'm right. They're wrong. And then if you sit with it, you might be even, you might have the reflective capacity to go, Hang on, what if I'm wrong? And the the rev, the revi- the revision uh, thought that you can kind of put back in there as you're as you're assessing it is what you've said. Language is unstable. The further you move away from the person who coined it or what they're talking about, it's something that doesn't seem to be r- very widely recognised. I, I mean, I'm I'm analysing everything as being very religious structure like we were talking about earlier i've been like in the rabbit hole of u.s politics for like the last year and a half and it's and 
and I'm and I'm now going. If I overlay a religious framework, you know, a set of beliefs, liturgy, doctrines, tribe, like if I overlay that onto politics, I'm like, damn, this is a very good. Like, it's almost more helpful than trying to um, view it in a in a different way. And and what I've noticed within all these structures, the political and and, and especially the religious, is that no one has that founding assumption that says language is unstable. Uh, people people might get frustrated as they listen to this podcast, maybe your podcast, when you're saying, well, define that. When you say, and this is what we just spoke about with deconstruction, when you say deconstruction, what do you mean? And very quickly, you come across people, whether they're atheist, humanist, what, like Christian, non-Christian, some of those people in those groups will say, well, no, that's not what it means. It does not mean that. And we can go, all right, cool. We can have a, like, a debate over the actual original definition of it, or I can pause and I can say, ah, okay, I thought it was this. What do you mean? And if we prioritize trying to understand what people are trying to communicate with this very unstable medium of language, that's an interesting, um, an interesting way to put it. What, what are your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I think, I think we take a lot of things for granted that being one of them uh, just, I, I think a lot of uh, times in terms of, uh, when reading a passage from from the Bible, the the part that we so often uh, forget is what who were the original audience and how would they have perceived that? And so often there are uh, I don't know literary vehicles or or things within the text that would have spoken uh, in a very different way to the original audience than it does to us uh, now. And and one of the things that I've been uh, reading a lot about lately that I'm, I'm fascinated with is just uh, this vehicle of mythology and the, and the myths that are found even within the Christian Bible. And it would absolutely uh, probably surprise and shock a lot of Western Christians to know that a lot of the, the stories specifically in the Old Testament appear in other more ancient cultures long before the Bible was written. You know, uh, for example, the Bible of, um, you know, baby Moses being sealed up in the basket of reeds and floated down the river and raised by, uh, you know, you know, that whole story shows up in other more ancient cultures across the world. And so. um, And when people look at that, they will say, yeah, myth. And you'll see this, I guess, uh, weaponized into a debate by, you know, people who might be atheist or non-Christian. They'll go. That's why the Bible's a useless piece of trash. It's not worth anything because all these stories have appeared before. It's not original. Myth simply means untrue and we should just, myth is useless. But it doesn't sound like you're saying that. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I think the people who, the original audience, again, who would have heard those stories uh, would have recognized them and would have known that, yes, we've heard these stories before, but they, they're not so much focused, I don't believe, on whether or not it's historically factually accurate they're, they're focused on, well, what is this story trying to tell me? Like, what am I supposed to take away from this? And, and understanding that it was merely used as a vehicle to convey a deeper truth. And so instead of, I, I think, uh, to use a good heretical name, if you want to talk about heretics, uh, one of my favorites, Rob Bell, you know. <laughs> oh, yep, yep, yep. Rob has this great, in his last book, that he, not the most recent one, but the one before it about the Bible, he has this great section about, uh, he uses the example of Jonah and the whale. And talking about the fact that we get so focused on the whale part of the story, which is very uh, short, 
uh, percentage of the story, a very small percentage of the story. And, and, but we love, we love to argue. It's like, well, did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale? Does it, was he really down what there? What kind of really, whale? Yeah. What kind of whale was it? How could he write poetry? You know, like in the belly of the whale. You know. <laughs> Where's the pen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like where did he get the writing material? You know, like we're so focused on the details of it. And, and like not realizing that it's just a vehicle to, to convey this deeper meaning. And, and Rob would argue that like, look, uh, Jonah's running away from his mission. God asked him to go to, to, to witness to their most hated enemy. These people that had murdered and raped and, and done the most awful, despicable things to his people. So he's like, think about how the original audience would have, would have uh, understood the story. They were like, yeah, we're with, we're with Jonah, man. I would have run like hell too, the opposite direction. There's no way we're not, you know. And so like the idea of him being swallowed by this whale and going to the bottom of the ocean, that's literally as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly be. And so it's, you know, this, this beautiful use of both myth and um, obviously some exaggeration, (laughs) you know, Uh, but, but the point is very, very strong. If you, if you look at it from that perspective, Hmm. like, my God, yeah. Like he literally went as far away from his, his uh, destination, his mission as he possibly could. And the people, uh, the original audience hearing this story would have been like, yeah, man, we're with him. It, but mm-hmm. but we spend so much time arguing about whether or not you know the whale portion of the story was you know did it really happen and and that sort of thing we 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 forget that um i, I think we we downplay uh how brilliant these these authors were at using these literary devices to really communicate these these rich uh beautiful um ideas and truths what would you say as you journey from having a constructed religious belief set that was handed to you by, you know, your parents and your upbringing. And what were the questions you followed to end up where you end up to embrace this, you know, deconstruction to pull apart these different things and be okay with it. Like, like the clickbait says deconstruct everything is like the tagline of, of your podcast. Like you must believe there's some, level to deconstruction in the sense that you're using it that's helpful or almost useful or even necessary in order to move forward what before we get to why i guess deconstruction is important what are the questions you followed or the gateway drug ideas that led you to that point um i'll give my dad some credit here uh the, the way that I started it, the, the intro question that got me down the path, I think, uh, that started me down the path was uh, anytime that I would hear some theological concept that didn't quite line up with this idea of unconditional love and the, and the message of love and forgiveness um, that you see through Jesus, specifically in the New Testament, you know, I, if you view Jesus as, as really giving us an idea of the character of God, um, I started to hear a lot of things predominantly, you know, and no fault to the evangelical world because not every evangelical church is the same. Surely, you know, I don't know about Australia, but there's, I think something like over 45,000 different denominations of Christianity just in the United States alone. Meaning if there are 45,000 different interpretations or subtle differences between one another, it's remarkable. And, wow. and yet most of all of those think that they're the ones who, who nailed it, who got it right. And so, I mean, we have to kind of look at that and say, well, obviously that's absurd, <laughs> you know, but 
um, some of the theological ideas that I heard just didn't seem to line up with this God of, of love. And so for me, I always bring it back to reading the Bible, the entire Bible through the lens of Jesus and through the lens of, um, uh, you know, through the lens of love. And if it doesn't jive with that, if it doesn't quite align with that, then I, I start to question it. And then I start to dig deeper and say, okay, um, you know, if you want to talk about the Bible specifically, what, what is the text telling me? And, and, and that's why I always, uh, recommend using multiple translations, uh, just to kind of, you know, and of course also historical context for me is huge. You know, my background is in history, you know, context is King. You know, you have to know, uh, you know, what was going on at the time, who the original audience was, you know, what was the author trying to convey? There are all these things that play into it, I think, but, ultimately always comes back to um, does this make sense uh, with my idea of this God of love? And if it doesn't, then I, then I dig in. That sounds like a pretty liberal Christian worldview that you I almost started with, which is this, this centrality of like Jesus is love. Like me and my friend were having like a joke debate where he, you know, he's no longer, uh, very like conservative Adventist with the denomination we come from. He's he's not that anymore. And I grew up in a denomination in the same denomination, but like really like the the church that the that the group was like, oh, they're a bit too liberal. These guys. And I, I grew up there. And we had this debate where he's like, that's not what the Bible says. Here's what it says. Here's what prophecy says. And I'm like, man, just love people. Like I'm a liberal. Like we just got to love. Like that's the most important thing. It sounds like that's kind of your starting point. You went well. If if Jesus is love, that's a, that's a central message I'm taking very seriously. And everything else is being measured to, to that idea. And therefore, everything else is up for deconstruction and pulling apart and seeing if it does truly fit that central measuring stick of, are you just loving people? Are you, are you being more inclusive? Are you accepting more people? Like, if that's the, the, like central, well, it depends how you define liberal Christianity too, but it seems to be the, that's what they're always saying. It's like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's like, why? Because that's the, he just loved people. And that's, is that, is that roughly like your starting point? Yeah, I think so. And I think anybody who, who would, who would argue with that, I would just point them back to, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus' own words in, in the New Testament when Jesus kind of cornered, you know, what are the most important rules to follow? What does he say? You know, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, and, and, I mean, ultimately, like he, he, he simplifies it in such a way that he's just like, love others, love yourself, you know, and, and made it quite easy, I think. Uh, and when we're not doing those things, I think that's where we kind of stray from the path, so to speak. But like, you know, he didn't say, all right, you have to get your dogma straight. You know, you have to believe the right things and tick the right boxes. That's not what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. So if you want to argue about that based on, you know, uh, on the, using the text itself, I mean, Jesus, that's exactly what he said. And so um, anything outside of that, I think, comes down to human interpretation uh, over centuries. And and we can debate those things all day, but ultimately, like, nobody has the answers when it comes to a lot of that stuff. But Jesus was very clear. You know, love your neighbor as yourself, you know. As, as I, I kind of want to like dig deeper in, into that because as, as we see, you know, 
tons of different Christian interpretations of the Bible and different dogmas, theologies, like you can do this, you can't do that. You've got a large swath of white evangelicalism being the backbone of Trump's campaign. That's a very different looking Christianity to some of the black Christians I've had on the podcast that have a very different like expression of it. Um, And I, I wonder if, as you say, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, that's what Jesus said is, is, is the most important thing, this centrality of love. I wonder if, and tell me what you think about this as I co- contrast, like some of the conversations I've had and people, you know, I've chatted with uh, in the DMs as we have like a diversity of different people on here. There is this at the heart of it, mate, like it sounds as if from your upbringing and from your worldview, you can trust that you know what is loving. You can trust that you can like listen to what you're feeling going, you know what, this isn't loving. And then the, the, a lot of the pushback that will come is saying like, who are we? You'll, you'll hear it a lot in the, in the gay marriage debate. It's like, who are we to determine what is love? God outlines what's love in the Bible. And, and I've had a Southern Baptist friend on the show, I think articulate something like this. It's like, I don't get to choose what love is. Love looks like me telling you if you're gay, sorry, you can't get married, you know, here are the pathways you have. And love is me telling you to turn from your ways. And at the heart of the difference, it seems to me, is that there's a there's a level of like trusting your own experience that it sounds like you're you're kind of leaning on being like, yeah, I can tell whether this is loving somebody or hurting somebody. And then maybe someone on the more conservative side is, is going, no, no, humans are inherently sinful. We're fallible. We don't know what's going on. So all I can do is open this book and go, well, I know it feels, because that's kind of what they'll say in the gay marriage debate is the, is the best illustration of this. They'll say, these progressive Christians, they're just going on their feelings. They go, oh, well, it doesn't feel like love for me to tell you to turn from your sinful ways. So I don't want to do it. And I'm going to change my theology because of that. Um, but it sounds like at the heart of that is saying, like, the, the Bible says this in this particular interpretation. My feelings are not as valid. Whereas it sounds like you're coming from like a, no, no, I can, love is at the center and, and my experience is going to tell me what is loving or not. What do you make of like me trying to pull those ideas apart? Yeah, man, there's a lot in there. Uh, we can get the whole gay marriage debate based on what the Bible says or doesn't say too. I mean, that's a whole nother. Yeah. Uh, we go deeper yeah. If we sidestep that one, yeah, into like the, <laughs> the, the thoughts the thoughts maybe like you're having in contrast to the people that would push against that. Cause I'm going to make an assumption here. You're not, you don't believe the Bible condemns homosexuality. That's an assumption I feel like is in there. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, I would take the approach that it says nothing about same sex loving committed relationships at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah. so in the Australian same sex plebiscite that happened a few years ago, you would vote a yes. That's correct. <laughs> okay all right. with that assumption out of the way we all yeah. we, now we know we're, we're, what we're talking about yeah like how do you is is that what you think like there's this like you are trusting your experience in, in on some level to determine what love is yeah i think i, I think um in, in one sense there's there's we have the bible obviously that um is our only collection of writings or evidence that we have you know to kind of go off of um but i think it so it starts starting with that I think you have to, I think it kind of depends on how you view the Bible. Uh, do you believe that it was something that uh, fell out of the, the, the clouds, out of the sky, out of heaven, was dropped down, fully formed in its final finished version? 
Uh, or do you believe that, um, you know, God uh, essentially ghost wrote the whole thing through believers? Or do you believe that it was, a, you know, a number of people, potentially even schools of, uh, of thought over hundreds of years that essentially recorded uh, to their best, to the best of their abilities, who were certainly inspired, I would argue they were certainly inspired, um, that try to describe their relationship with the divine as best they could. Um, and I think that would be the the way that I would lean just in terms of how I would uh, receive the Bible, because it requires far less mental gymnastics for me uh, in the sense that uh you know, some of the things that atheists like to pull out, right? Like the geographical errors and, and some of the things that are, you know, and some of the scientific errors that are clearly present, you know, or, or, you know, Moses at the beginning talking about his own funeral, um, you know, things like that. Um, I think if you, if you take it uh, as a collection of writings written by, you know, people, individuals, schools of people, schools of thought over hundreds and hundreds of years uh, and that, of course, like there's going to be very human fingerprints present in the text and, and agendas and specific theologies. Um, then you don't have to, you don't have to do the, the type of mental gymnastics to explain away some of the, um, you know, errors, so to speak in there. And you can also, I think it's more beautiful that way because it is kind of slightly, uh, it is very much more human, I think. And it, and it does, uh, explain to us how our ancestors, uh, what they were struggling with, you know, thousands of years ago and the questions that they were asking and the things, uh, that they wanted to know. I mean, gosh, look at like Job and, uh, and some of the sections of the Bible where, where you've got early followers who are just crying out to God, like, where are you? You know, I mean, lamentations, I can get on board with that, man. Like, especially now, like with everything that's going on, like I can fully get on board uh, with the authors uh, who wrote those those portions of the Bible and say like, yeah, there are days that I get up and I'm like, where are you? What are you doing? Like, you know, why have you not interceded? Um, and so for me, it starts with that. It starts with how you view uh, the Bible in terms of where it came from, how it was formed. Um, and so for me, again, like I said, uh, I view it uh, as very much a human document uh, written by people who are very much inspired by the relationship with the divine. Uh, so that would be one piece of it. And what was the other part of the question? I'm sorry, I got too long-winded on that one. <laughs> yeah, it, I I guess the – and does that interpretation of that, I suppose, because it's almost like are you saying that even what how you see the Bible is the step before whether you can trust yourself or not? Is that step before saying – if you believe the Bible is like what I guess what Rob Bell says is a collection of stories and history of humanity progressing forward as like throughout history and it's imperfect and it's it's humanity just asking hard questions, contradicting itself, and we can learn from this lineage of history. Is that what you would say? If you follow your pathway, I suppose this is a better way of putting it. As you look at these different ways of looking at the Bible, infallible, inerrant, like what it literally says in our modern day context, that's what it is. It says homosexuality is abomination. I'm not going to look at what was meant by the day. I'm going to go, no, no, it means this now. That's what it is. God wouldn't play games like that. Yeah. Or, you know, the other end of the spectrum is like, okay, it's it's not literal. It's not 
or it's not historically accurate as we think it would be. Like, oh, I don't know if they march around the walls like seven times in this exact area for, for whatever. That may not have actually happened or Jonah may not have actually been swallowed by a whale, but it's still a book of wisdom to follow. As you say, you kind of take that second option. Where does that lead you? What is like, what is the benefit of that? Like if, if someone's to say, why should I revise my literal, um, I guess pretty common Protestant understanding of the Bible? Why should I revise that? Like what benefit do you get from it? Where does it lead you? How does it help you? Me personally, and I can't speak for everyone, but <clears throat> for me personally, I think where it took me was honestly to a more loving place, more inclusive place, because what it... What then? What I can do is I can look at the the handful. I think there's five or six. I mean, if you want to use the the homosexuality example, there's five or six verses that uh, allegedly speak to that. But then I can look back at history and I can say, well, what was going on in, in this period? And there are a lot. And by the way, there are a lot, a ton of other biblical scholars with PhDs who are far smarter than I am, uh, who would put this more succinctly than I would. But there are uh, a, a lot of scholars out there that would say, well, you know, look at the time fledgling religion competing against other pagan religions who believed in essentially pedophilia at the time. Like you want to really distance yourself from these other religions and say, Hey, no, we're not like them at all. We are not like them. Uh, furthermore, like same sex relationships, committed relationships, that wasn't even a thing uh, back in the, at, at the time that these passages were, were written. And then on top of that, you can look at all sorts of different translation issues, uh, you know, words that may mean just weak uh, as opposed to uh, a homosexual. Or you can look at the, the military practice that was common at the time to, you know, where the, the uh, 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 victorious army would so literally sodomize the defeated army as one last act of humiliation. There are all sorts of things that are at play there um, that maybe wouldn't be if you took the approach that a lot of uh, Western Christians take in the United States where they use this, throw around this word called, uh, you know, they, they call it inerrant or inerrancy. You know, the Bible's without error and, and somehow has this magical ability to, to speak to you in your current, uh, environment, uh, at the, at the time that you're alive, uh, and, and bypass your, your cultural, uh, lens in such a way that it just, uh, reveals itself to you without doing any, uh, of the work necessary to understand, what the original author intended. So I guess that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> but I think, oh, the other thing like, I want to mention though is yeah. I, think, I think the other thing too is we put so much weight uh, on, on, on the word, so to speak. Um, and so where's the Holy Spirit at play in all of this, you know? Hmm. Um, and, and so I think, I think through the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit is certainly still at work uh, and working through human beings every day. And I think, I think, yeah, to some extent, you know, the, the gifts that God, uh, imbued in us, I think, you know, he's asking us to trust ourselves and say, look, like you'll know when, when you're being, uh, loving and when you're not. And, you know, and, and like I said, I, I always go back to what Jesus said. He's like, Jesus is hanging out with the prostitutes and the, and the poor people and the marginalized and the people at the fringes of society. And I'll be honest, as an American, we're doing a horrible job uh, of that right now. And it's infuriating, it's frustrating, it's saddening and maddening. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, that's just my, my little mini rant based on the fact that uh, there are a there's a huge percentage still that support um, a political candidate who uh, seems to be 
the complete opposite uh, in terms of uh, what Jesus preached uh, pretty blatantly in regard to how we um, look out for our brothers and sisters who are unable to look out for themselves. So you're saying that it allows you to be more loving. It leads you to accept more people, include more people. And when someone would level the accusation saying, well, you're just trusting your own experience, you know, you're you're doing what you want. It sounds like the pushback is, yes, I believe that is what we call the Holy Spirit, that thing that tells me this is loving, this is not loving. And I'm going to include that in my progress towards becoming a person more like how Jesus was. Yeah, I I think so. I I think there is a portion of it. There's a portion of any, I would argue for any religion where, yeah, I mean, that's faith in and of itself is believing in the unseen, right? So like, I think there is a certain portion of being a Christian, for example, that requires you to, to trust and to trust that, that God is working through and in people, uh, and, and including yourself, um, in, in the world today, you know, and, and I mean, you could get into the whole conversation about Christ consciousness and the universal Christ and that sort of thing and how, um, you know, the Holy Spirit continues to, to, to work through humanity long after hmm. uh, the life and death of Jesus. But, but yeah, I think, I think you absolutely do. I think we downplay, uh, we, we, we play up the Holy Spirit in other ways, but we downplay the Holy Spirit in terms of uh, working through human beings uh, to love one another and to, uh, to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. So as I hear you use uh, buzzwords like universal Christ, which is from Richard Raw, who many Christians might look at and go, well, he's not really. And as I've you know explored different perspectives on like this would, this would fit within the category of progressive Christian. It sounds like if, if someone was to listen to you, they, they're listening to you and hearing like, ah, this guy's just a progressive Christian. He's already mentioned Rob Bell, the, the gateway drug himself that leads people out of the church. He's now dropping like Richard Raw, like the, the Christ is, is within everybody, God working, working everywhere. And there's part of that that's not controversial. You know, like no matter, all Christians would say, oh yes, of course, we are made in the image of God and all of these types of things. But then... It's like you take that a step further and as, you, as you're taking all these steps, pulling apart these beliefs you've been handed, deconstructing them and then rebuilding them into this more open, inclusive, it's like, well, you are, you're throwing out like a literal genesis. You're throwing out like a, a, like a reliability of the Bible because, you know, people, people look at it and go, you know, this, the prophecies in there, it's all accurate. It's all happened before. It's telling us what's happening in the future. And if I follow you, John, I'm... I'm following you out of what is conventional Christianity to us modern uh, Christians. I, I'm when I'm listening to some podcasts, uh, at trying to get, trying to understand different perspectives. A lot of what people would say against the push against progressive Christianity. I had a friend of the show Marcia on just recently, and she would say like, "Well, John, that's not Christianity," like, and. And ultimately you're leaving Christianity. Like, I, I feel like that was the central message being like, you, you just kind of like, are all these churches wrong then? If we put it in that black and white, it's like, 
all these Protestant Christians that do believe in inerrancy, do believe in lit- literal, all these things, do believe, I'm going to jump out on a limb here and be like, you're probably not a penal substitutionary atonement guy where Jesus died for the literal sins of everybody. No, no he's shaking his no. head. He's not. No. So, but th- that's not Christ. That's not Christianity, John. Like, yeah. what do you? What would you say to those people that would, that would say that to you? Going, well, are we all just like, are we the wrong ones? Are, like, are you looking at the most of Western Protestantism and saying you got the Bible wrong? Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, no, I'm saying I would lovingly say then you don't know your history, because, oh. uh, for example. The, the idea of uh, inerrancy and, um, and a lot of these very fundamentalist beliefs are, are actually fairly new within the 20th century. And so, um, you know, you've, you've got a, a group of conservative Christians in the United States who are doubling down against uh, the rise of scientific beliefs and creating this fundamentalist movement. Uh, that didn't exist prior to that. So uh, a lot of these things, I, I would, again, I would argue that um, there's nothing that I currently believe that didn't exist long before me. And so the further back into history I dig into uh, the, some of these earlier theologians and some of these earlier thinkers, um, the more I'm realizing that some of these things that we hold to be true currently, uh, that we think have just been around since the beginning of time have in fact not been ideas that have been around since the beginning of Christianity at all. And so, so, so yeah. Go so ahead. when you say like they might level at you, that's not Christianity. You're kind of saying oh, like, if you look at history, I do think there's good evidence to suggest that this is actually either also Christianity or the Christianity that this new Christianity, 20th century Christianity has, has, come out of that that kind of what it sounds like um friend of the show uh martin just sent through a question how do you discern whether it's like the holy spirit or your own interpretation that would be that's a very good like that that's what people would say to push back against that being like how can you tell like you might just do what you want you might just like uh like and second call it the holy spirit yeah oh you know what i would it's that's an interesting question i would i would ask the same question of somebody who you know, I, I had friends who I'd go to uh, more of an evangelical church with who would <clears throat> fall down speaking in tongues, you know. And I, so I would say the same thing. Is that really the Holy Spirit or is that or maybe a better example would be, um, you know, somebody who would claim to have gotten a word uh, from the Lord, you know, and it's like, yeah, the, the God is speaking to me and saying this, this and this. And it's like, well, I, I kind of have to trust you a bit on that one. Right. Like. How do you know, how do I know that's the Holy Spirit and not just, you know, um, you kind of speaking your desires onto me, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I, that is a tricky one. I can't prove, I can't prove to you uh, that it is in fact the Holy Spirit. I, I think, um, I think over time, I think you start to get a sense that you're, that you're on the right side, you know, especially when it comes to that's- caring for people, uh, you know, immigrants and the poor and stuff like that. I, I just think, I think over time you start to realize, yes, I am doing the right thing, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you're pointing to output. You're pointing to what, am I acting like towards vulnerable groups of people? Does it lead me to do those things? And it's interesting that you almost, 
you know, that that's the accusation leveled from, uh, you know, conservative Christians against maybe more progressive or liberal being like, like, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? They'll go, no, nah, no, nah, that's your interpretation. Um, but you're also saying that question is ever present, no matter what your view on the Bible and God and Jesus, that question is always, there is that element of going, well, I'm just going to trust you in when you're telling me, praying for me, a word from God, interpreting the Bible a certain way. That that question, I guess, is always there, is is, is, is what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think there there is a large part of faith, uh, any faith, uh, I would argue, that um, that leads you down to the path where you have to become um, not only open to, but comfortable with ambiguity. And so, you know, Roar, you know, does talk about mm. that a lot and talks about the fact that there's a lot that we don't know about God. You know, we, we get glimpses of the character of God through Jesus. We can argue that through the Bible. Um, but ultimately, you have to be okay with a certain amount of unknowing, you know, and, and you can either let it eat you up inside and, and cause anxiety, or you can say, you know what, that's part of the beauty of the thing. You know, like the, I, I look at um, science, I've always looked at science and, and religion as, as dance partners. Um, and, and so I've always loved um space and space exploration and, and planets and galaxies, universes. I always thought that was fascinating and, and absolutely beautiful. Uh, if you see the space telescope photos and all that stuff, but you know, dark matter and, and dark mass makes up the vast majority of the universe. And we have no idea what that even is. We don't know what that's made of. We have no idea what that is. And so like, but does it, you know, does it change my, uh, my appreciation uh, for life or does it change my fascination or my love of space exploration and science? No, not at all. Um, I, I'm just kind of open to the fact that like, Hey, the, the universe is mysterious and it works and we're here and I'm going to make the most of it and uh, be as loving and accepting as I can. And um, just have to accept the fact that um, there are a lot of answers I won't get until I die, you know? Mm-hmm. You said before <clears throat> you're kind of following this this direction because you th- you think that this way of viewing the Bible and and this way of engaging with Christianity is less mental gymnastics. And I think it was either Bart Campolo or Ryan Bell who I recently had on, very prominent humanists. Oh, yeah, they I would. Yeah. I feel like they would they would say <laughs> to you, they would say to you, John, John, you're just a humanist. We like the mental gymnastics you have to go through to keep saying this Bible is relevant. It's, it's useful. I've, I've had lots of friends say to me, like, there's n- like the Bible. Yeah, fine. But we don't need it. We can be loving, open, inclusive, accepting people without having to jump through all these historical understandings, looking at these deeper <laughs> theological things. Like you're just a humanist. Why the Bible, John? Like why bother? Um, that's, that's a tough question. And I think you probably get different answers from different people. I'm sure, uh, in, in a similar position to mine. Um, I've never, I've just never personally gotten to the point where I felt the need to throw it away. I think that without it, despite the fact that I I no longer hold the belief that it's infallible, um, and inerrant or whatever you want to call it. Um, I still see beautiful, messages and truths and meanings uh that you can derive from from the text um 
by people who who were struggling with the very same very similar things to what we're struggling with now um you know the same basic moral human questions um and i think there's still a lot of beauty there you know i even though i don't think that you know the the um a lot of the greek mythology is is factually true um i still think that you can read it and still uh derive beauty and uh wisdom from it um not that I'm comparing that specifically to the Bible, but I think, you know, when you want to talk about ancient writings and uh, well, it's not true, it's not factually true. So why don't we just throw it away? Like, well, why would we, you know, to me, that's art. Yet you don't throw that away. There's still things to be understood Hmm. and to be learned from the text. There's still wisdom to be uh, gleaned from the text. Um, It still serves a purpose. There are still things, like I said, lamentations being a great example of that, where, um, you've got, you know, frustrated human beings crying out to God, where are you? Like, why is this happening? And and I think it still, still preaches, so to speak. So would you hand someone a Bible and say, this is something you should read? Because that's, I guess, the, the message of evangelicalism and modern Protestantism. It's like, get this book into the hands of people and it's going to change lives. But given all the, you're kind of going, well, when I look into history, it doesn't lead me to condemn, to condemn gay marriage or, or, or the immigrant. It doesn't lead me to support certain political candidates that might label certain people rapists or, or whatever. Um, it, but if you have to do all that historical and theological and philosophical understanding to get to that point with the Bible, would you hand somebody the Bible, John, now and go, it's a good read? check it out. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I, I think with a caveat, I, I would still hand out the Bible. <laughs> I know that's a, oh, a, a how big's the caveat. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I still think it, it can be either uh, a tremendously beautiful thing or it can be also a very dangerous thing. And we've seen this within Christian history since the beginning where people have, I mean, in the United States alone, uh, there were a large number of Christians that used the Bible to defend slavery, you know? And so I think you have to be careful with it um, in the sense that I think you do have to dig in and do the work uh, and understand the uh, cultural context and things that were happening uh, in the, at the time that these um, collections of writings were were written Uh, or else. Yeah, you could, you could go down a very dangerous path and and end up doing something horrific, like defending slavery, you know? Like on balance, then would you like? Do you still think it's worth it? Like a many many of my atheist friends of the show might might just say, if you got rid of the Bible, you'd get rid of well a lot of Trump's voter base. You'd get rid of like a lot of uh, injustices, justifying slavery, like um, discrimination, or like on balance, if like would you just get rid of it if you if you could like do you think the bible's more trouble than it's worth like yes it's an art form it's beautiful and to some like to some people they can really like find it adds a lot of depth to life but is it worth it for the damage that it can cause that that's that's the million dollar question isn't it like that's (laughs) that's for somebody that's for somebody else far smarter far wiser than me uh, <laughs> to answer, um, I like. Okay. I don't know if I'm qualified for that one, but um, I mean, yeah, there there is a lot of damage done. I think in the name of uh, of 
the interpretation of God that certain people historically have had. Um, and, and again, I would, you know, personally, I would argue that those who have used it to support someone like Trump uh, need to do a better job of reading the New Testament. <laughs> like, I think you're missing some big pieces there. Huh. Um, I don't know that I would get rid of it, though. I just I really I really think that uh, when huh. when viewed correctly or properly um, and, and with the right uh, understanding and education, I think there's still so much beauty in there. I mean, you would, that would be losing, you know, the John and the whale story, which ultimately is just the story about um, forgiving your worst enemy. And like, do you have it in you to forgive the person who had wronged you the most? And ultimately, of course, that's a story of redemption. Cause at the end uh, he finally relents and he goes to Nineveh and he, and he talks to the people. Not only do they not murder him, but they're like totally receptive to the message. And it's just, this beautiful story. I think that still, it still has a lot of power today and you would lose things like that. Um, but you know, or the story of, uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, I just read some, um, uh, some, some Jewish translations, uh, of that story that were absolutely just, just beautiful and mind blowing. Um, you know, and you would lose things like that. And I, I think those things still convey, uh, very important messages, even, uh, to 21st century, you know, folks. Hmm. John, is there anything as we wrap up that you kind of want to say or finish up a thought here or there? Anything you want to add? Yeah, I think I think the big thing for me and the thing that we've tried to convey through our podcast is that um, we try to uh, hold things in an open hand, uh, meaning that I'm always open to, to admitting that, oh man, I think I was wrong. You know, and I, I think the, the, the instances where we run into trouble is when we, we back ourselves into a corner. We hold too tightly fisted to, to some idea or some um, some thing that we thought was was true for so long. And that's where you see people's uh, their 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 faith just crumbles <clears throat> at the first uh, sign of friction. And, and I think I think you have to be humble. I think you have to try to as hard as that is. That's still hard. It's still so hard, but you have to remain humble in it and say, you know what, like this could change tomorrow. Like my, my view on this could change tomorrow. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, I have to admit that there's more that I don't know than I do know. And I have to leave that in the hands of God at the end of the day, you know? Hmm. Thank, thanks so much, John, for, for coming on, spending spending a lot of time and, and being really open and honest with like the journey and the process and, and pushback. It's been great to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. This is so fun. You've got a, you've got a great show. All right. Well, thank you. Um, so if if you are listening to this and you know, you're know you a friend of the show and you go and listen, I disagree with everything John has said. I can't believe <laughs> he thinks that. Then you are participating in the practice of Ideas Digest. And if you're listening to this and you're going, oh, I agree, John, like you preach it, John, like keep going. Like, I mean, I'm glad you're enjoying the episode, but it's not quite the practice we're going for for Ideas Digest, but that's okay. Some episodes are gonna, you're going to enjoy, some you might not. Um, whether you agree or disagree, it's not the point. I don't really care. That's the secondary to hopefully I've been able to unpack some of how John sees the world, how he got there and how it helps him move forward and engage in the world. If you also want to turn this podcast into a practice, three things, just three. Number one, 
Oh, what is number one? Yeah, I already said it. Listen to the episode that most triggers you. It's the one you're not interested in. It's the one you're like, ah, maybe next time. No, no, listen to that one. That's the one. Number two, ask a question. Send through on Instagram on the on the posts. What did I miss? What do you wish you could have learned more about uh, with John and his perspective there? Number three, DM us. Where should we go next? What should we talk about next? Who should we talk to next? And if you've made it this far in the podcast, even after the ramblings of the things you hear a lot, then I, it's your moral obligation. I believe it's podcasting etiquette 101. Rate, review if you haven't, if you've done it already. And number three, uh, recommend. You know, just recommend it to somebody to trigger them. Hey, that could be fun. Or that you go, hey, he's a nice echo chamber. I know you're going to like this. Give it a recommend. Help out the, help out the show. Uh, until the next episode, I will, I will catch you then.